Lord Jesus, this is your time. We are your people. And we pray that you would speak today. We pray that you would transform hearts and minds today through the power of your word, through the power of your presence. May you just make yourself known to us and may we be different because of it. Lord, leave your mark on us as you did with Moses when his face was shining and there was no doubt that he had been in the presence of the Lord. God, may our lives reflect you in the same way because of encounters with you like I'm praying for this morning. So come, Lord Jesus. Do your work, we pray. Amen. So we have been talking about, does does anyone remember our church's vision, like why we exist as a church, to see every person involved in kingdom life. It's the young, they have that memory. It's okay. We believe we exist as a church to see every person involved in kingdom life. Real quick, kingdom life, we have a king. It is not you and it is not me. He's in charge. And we're called to be good citizens of the kingdom, to follow the the decrees and the, the commands of the king and to advance his agenda, to advance the kingdom. We're all called not only to be involved in it in ourselves, but to see every person we come in contact with have opportunity to be involved in kingdom life. Amen? All right, there's only a few of you. You're going to have to be pretty responsive this morning. I will get stuck on repeat. And so we believe that if we're going to do that, there's four values that we need to hold, that we need to prioritize above all of the other good things that we could be about And when I say, we talked about this last week and the week before, when I say we need to prioritize these values, am I talking about the Alliance Church as an organization? Or am I talking about us as individuals? We need to prioritize these things in our lives if we're going to see every person involved in kingdom life. And so the last two weeks we talked about divine expectation and engagement. Living with, with a sense of expectation for the Lord to make himself known and engaging with him when he does. This week, we're going to start talking about uh, the second thing that we need to prioritize, the second value, practical discipleship. The, The way that we are defining practical discipleship is this, walking arm in arm in intentional relationships towards transformation into the character and priorities of Jesus. That sounds like a bit of a mouthful, and I get it. We're going to break it all down but walking arm in arm in intentional relationships towards transformation into the character and priorities of Jesus. See, I I think that a shift that needs to happen, I'll say in our church, but really it's in most every church, in the West especially, is we need to shift from focusing on church growth to focusing on disciple-making. We've kind of lost our essence as a church Big C church, especially in America, we've started to approach church like you would any other business. We've started to to approach church like you would any other organization. And so we've started looking at how do we market ourselves better and how do we get better customer satisfaction. And we started looking at revenue streams and all of these different things that aren't bad in and of themselves, But we've started to let that lead a lot of what it means to be a church. And we've gotten away from what was to be the core, which is disciple making. We've we've taken on, and it was a big thing in the 80s and 90s, and it's kind of continued, church growth principles. How do we get more butts in seats? 
How do we expand our reach? How do we get better programs? How do we, as an organization, draw more people in, always, and I, I believe in the, with the best of intentions, always hoping that the more people come to church, the, more, like the bigger the church gets, the more disciples will kind of happen on the back end. I, I, I truly believe that's always been the hope, and it's come from a good place, but I think it's misguided. Because then the things that we start to measure and the things that we start to focus on were how many people were there on Sunday. How big is your church? How, how great are the programs of your church? And a question we never ask is how many people are being discipled? How many disciples are we making? How many new believers are coming to faith and growing? How many people that have been walking with Jesus for a while are taking new steps? We've lost those in the shuffle because we've got stuck in the world's mindset of this is how you grow a business. This is how you grow an organization. You have to get more popular. You, have to, you can't be out on the fringes. You can't say edgy things. You have to stay in the mainstream so that it keeps the customer happy and they'll keep coming back. They'll keep giving. They might tell their friends. But inadvertently, we've sacrificed disciple making. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says this about his church. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter. He's, he's speaking to Simon, who he gives the name Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus says, look, I'm going to build my church. That's his job. Building the church, drawing people, like that's him. We've kind of tried to take that from him and go, Jesus, we kind of understand marketing a little better. Your Instagram feed, not that great. We could do a little better, you know? And so we've kind of made that our domain. When Jesus says, look, I'm going to build my church. Because when we think of church, we tend to think of the organization. We tend to think of whether it's the Alliance Church, Summit Church, Landmark Church, the Nazarene Church, whatever it may be. That's what we think of. We think of an organization. When Jesus used that word church, every time you see the word church in your New Testament Bible... What you will, like, we think that organization, we kind of impose what we think of as church. What Jesus literally said was gathering of people. I will build my assembly, my gathering of people. Is there always going to be an organizational side to it when people come together? Yes. We see in the book of Acts very early on, they were trying to figure out problems, making sure things were fair and everyone was getting what they needed. There was an organization, a structural side to it. But they didn't lose sight of that secondary. What comes first is making disciples. So we have to like kind of change the idea of, first of all, what we mean when we talk about church. If somebody asked you to describe your church, most of us would say, you know, we're very, I hope we're very loving, we're welcoming. And then we would start telling them about the programs that we offer. Here's what our Sunday mornings are like. We're contemporary. We're traditional. Here's what our Sunday school is like. Here's what our children's programs are like. I think if you go back to the early church and you would have said, man, tell me about your church. They would have gone, well, there's this lady named Cheryl. And let me tell you about Cheryl. There's this guy named Al. Here's what Al brings into the mix. And whenever we gather together, there's these group of people that start singing and they lead us into worship. And those people are gifted. They would start talking about the people we lead with the programs. It's a very subtle shift. And I, again, I don't think it came from an evil place. 
but we've started to shift away from what we've been called to be. Is this making sense? I, I can't tell with masks. All I get is eyebrows. Okay, everyone nod your eyebrows. Okay, good. We have started to move into this idea of church growth. Again, well-intentioned. But what's happened is we've left disciple-making behind. Every year, I have to fill out um, these things for our denomination. And again, with the best of intentions, they have these certain things they measure. How many people came? How much money came through? Um, the, how many conversions? How many baptisms? They ask those kinds of things. Nowhere in there does it say how many people were discipled. How many people were intentionally discipled? It's become an afterthought. Something that we hope kind of happens on accident, but we, it's not really what we're to be about. That's kind of God's thing. As long as they show up to church, discipleship will happen, right? We'll get into it. We have to shift our focus from church growth back to disciple-making. So let's, start, let's take a look at that definition. We're going we're gonna to break this in half into two weeks. We're going to look at the first half this week, the second half next week. So what we're going to look at this week, walking arm-in-arm in, arm in intentional relationships towards transformation. What does that mean? It, what does it mean to prioritize this, to make this something that we value, something where if we fail at this, everything else goes by the wayside? So let's look at walking arm-in-arm. Arm. What we've tried to do is we've tried to turn discipleship into a class that you attend. Well, if you would just go to Sunday school, you would be discipled. If you would just learn this information, if you would just read this book, you'll be discipled. You'll become a disciple of Jesus. Can books be helpful? Yes. Can classes be helpful? Yes. Can they ever replace walking life on life with someone who is a step ahead of you? No. See, we know this, and we've talked about this probably a couple years ago. We know this when it comes to other professions, other things that we deem as important. I look at Steve and Jim in here. When you guys were becoming doctors, did they just hand you a really thick book and say, we'll see you in a couple years? No. There was definitely learning. There was definitely that kind of stuff. But then you went and you apprenticed. You walked with other doctors and they showed you, here's how we handle this situation. Here's what happens when someone breaks their leg like that and here's how we fix it. Get your hands dirty with me. There was an apprenticeship. Even to become a, a plumber, you apprentice with someone. They don't just say, watch these couple YouTube videos on plumbing and there you go, now you're a master plumber. You apprentice. Let me show you what I do. Let me actually get you involved in this, and I'm going to just help you so that you can learn and grow and experience. It's life on life, but for some reason, when it's come to the church, we've looked at discipleship, and for the most part, we've gone, read this book, listen to this sermon series, watch this video. I hope it works. And that's missing it. We are called to walk arm in arm, life on life. It's how Jesus did ministry. Did Jesus have times where he stood up on a mountainside and kind of spoke to masses? Yeah. Is that all he did? Was that even the majority of what he did? No. When we think about the ministry of Jesus, he grabbed 12 guys and he said, you're going to be with me every day. You're going to see how I live. You're going to see how I minister. You're going to see what it looks like to have this relationship with the Father and you're going to be invited to imitate 
And then there was times when Jesus would go, cool, now you 12, go do what you saw me doing. Come back and report. And they would go out and they would do ministry like Jesus and they'd come back and there was times when they went, man, it was awesome, it was great. And there was other times when they went, how come it didn't work for me, but it worked for you? And Jesus would walk with them through this. It was life on life. He didn't just hand them a scroll, say, read this and then go and be fruitful. They walked with him arm in arm through his life. We, we called this, this vision, it was practical discipleship. We have to learn practically what it means to walk with Jesus. And the only way to do that is to walk with someone who is walking with Jesus. So many times we're guilty of this as a church. We say things like this. You should read your Bible every day. Bye, good luck, figure it out. You should pray every day. Bye, good luck, figure it out. We're guilty. Because when was the last time we as a church said, you should read your Bible? Why don't you actually come sit with me and I'll show you how I read my Bible. Come on into my quiet time and I'll show you how I pray. And then I'm going to invite you just to join me. We've kind of just set people off and gone, figure it out yourself. There's some good books out there. There's some good YouTube videos. Good luck. But we're also going to hammer on you and make you feel guilty every time you don't do it right. Uh, a couple years back, probably about four years ago at this point, I uh, quasi-interviewed a lot of people from, a church, from our church, a lot of leaders, and I said, who discipled you? Like, how did you learn to read the Bible? How did you learn to pray? How did you... All but I think two said, I just figured it out on my own. And then almost all of them had this uh, phrase that came after, and I'm pretty sure I'm doing it wrong. Some of these people have been walking with Jesus for 30-some years. They've figured it out on their own, and they're, they're convinced there's this secret that everyone else knows that I don't because they never had anyone walk with them and show them how. Now, if I walk with Steve, I just become a new believer, and Steve says, hey, let me show you how to read the Bible. Let me show you how to pray. Are Steve and I wired the same? No. Any of you who know Steve and any of you who know me, <laughs> no. Am I going to end up reading my Bible just like Steve reads his Bible? No. But am I going to have a place to start? A, a jumping off point where then I can go, hey, this really seems to work for Steve, but kind of hangs me up and I can start trying some other things and I can go, um, maybe I'm going to walk with David for a while and go, David, why don't you show me how you read the Bible? I picked up some stuff from Steve. There's some that, that works really well and there's some that just doesn't quite match. How do you do it? And there's going to be some pieces that I pick up. This is what it looks like to walk arm in arm. Sharing our faith is the scariest thing in the world to most Christians, and most Christians have been told, go do it, but never actually been shown how. Never had somebody go, you know what, I'm going to go talk to my neighbor, why don't you come with me? It hasn't been modeled, no one has walked with us. We've just been told to do it and left our own devices. Discipleship happens arm in arm, life in life. And it happens in intentional relationships. Discipleship doesn't happen on accident. If we focus on building a church, we focus on getting more people in here and having the best Sunday morning gatherings we can and, and the best Awana ministry, the best youth ministry, discipleship will not just automatically happen because, man, look at our programs. It happens through intentional relationships. When we intentionally form relationships to be discipled and to disciple others, I want you to walk with me, to learn from me. 
It will not happen on accident. Matthew 18, 19 to 20. We've looked at this probably five times in the last eight weeks, and we're going to keep coming back to it. It's, Jesus, it's the Great Commission. Jesus' kind of last words to his disciples. He's telling them, here is what you're to be about. Like, here's what you're to spend the rest of your life being about. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay, Jesus, you're leaving. The the disciples were going, we're kind of freaked out. What do we do? Like, you did a whole bunch of different stuff in three years. What are we supposed to focus on? Go and make disciples. People who don't know Jesus... Show them who Jesus is in such a way where they want to follow him too. And then baptize them. Once people come into relationship with Jesus, teach them to obey everything he has commanded you. Doesn't just say, teach them what he commanded, but teach them to obey. Actually walk with them. Let them see your life. Let them see your obedience and your faith. And then hold them accountable and encourage them along in theirs. Therefore, go and make disciples. He didn't say, therefore, go, and hopefully some disciples get made along the way. Go with intentionality to make disciples. We're going to look at this more next week in terms of like what, uh, what a disciple actually is and some practical things on how we make disciples. But we have to first shift and go, this is a priority of my life. As a follower of Jesus, this is the mission he gave me, and it was not optional. He didn't say, hey, you super apostles, you guys do it. Everyone else, just fund them. Make sure they have enough resources to do what they need to do. Jesus was talking to all of his followers at the time. There was about 500 people present. And he said to all of them, go and make disciples. It is an individual responsibility, and we have to do it with intentionality. It's not going to happen on accident. Chris, would you play a video? There's a guy named Francis Chan uh, who, who does it. It's just like a two-minute video, a little teaching on this and kind of how we as the church ha- have stepped back here. When I was a kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says. Right? Most of us have played that, unless you're really young, because there's no app for it. it, it Simon Says is, uh, you know, you just, Simon Says, pat your head, you know, so, okay, you know, Simon said it. Um, it's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church, Jesus Says is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. You, you, you study it, you memorize You guys, it, it doesn't make any sense. A lot of the things we do, when he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in the, our churches are actually making disciples? But they memorized it. You know, I tell my daughter, hey, hey, Rach, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. <laughs> you said, Rach, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. <laughs> my friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. <laughs> it's 
She knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said and talk about how much we know? It's just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. I would start making disciples. He says it in a way I couldn't come up with on my own, but the beauty of it, uh, truly think about it. How guilty are we of that? How many of you could at least pretty closely quote the Great Commission? Okay? Most of us have heard this. If you've been in church for, for any period of time, you've kind of heard this along the way again and again and again. How many of us go, and that reflects my life? I live my life going and making disciples. So few. We have to be intentional about creating disciples. It happens through intentional relationships. This is what he told us to be about. This is the mission he gave us. One day, again, it's kind of a scary thought at times, to stand before him and to go, oh, you meant really do it? Ooh, I didn't. I was focusing on some other good stuff. He's going to go, I gave you one job. We don't get to look at him and go, I don't like that job. I'm going to do something different. Again, kingdom life. He's the king. We're not. And the king gave us a command. Go and make disciples. We have to shift our own lives. It's a personal responsibility thing. Not who is the church making disciples. Who am I making disciples? Who am I building an intentional relationship with to encourage them one step closer to Jesus. Be they non-believers, and I'm inviting them into that relationship, I'm inviting them into becoming disciples. Be it someone who's already following Jesus, and I'm inviting them to take steps further in. Intentional relationships is how this happens, and it is not optional. 2 Corinthians 4.20 says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What state in America is the show me state? I've heard that a couple times. Anybody know? Missouri? Strange. I don't think of Missouri like showing me things, but they got to it first. They win it. The kingdom is the show me kingdom. It's not a kingdom of talk. Who has the best Bible answers? Who can say things in the Greek the most? Who can? It's the show me kingdom. Who are you making disciples of? Paul continually refers to this when he's talking to churches. I'm, I'm reading through 2 Corinthians right now, and I think he said it already about five different times. He says, like, one day, he paints this picture. He goes, one day when I stand before God, you're going to be my crowns in heaven. God's not going to go, so tell me all the stuff you learned and tell me all the messages you preached. He's going to go, who'd you bring with you? And Paul's going to go, look at the disciples that I made. And he lays them down at the Father's feet like, I did what you said, and, and look at the, how the kingdom advanced because of it. That is what Paul looks at as his reward in eternity. I'm going to stand before the Father and go, I, I did what you said, and look who has life now because of it. And look at the disciples they made, and the disciples they made, and the disciples they made, because I did what you called me to do, because I was intentional with my relationships. So walking arm in arm in intentional relationships toward transformation. 
The goal of discipleship is not learning, it's transformation. The goal of discipleship is not being able to quote more or read more books or understand more in and of itself. Those are important steps, absolutely. But if they don't result in transformation, we're missing it. The goal of discipleship is not learning, it's transformation. Transformation in the Greek, and I don't bring out the Greek very often, but it is such an interesting word. Metamorpho is what it comes out to, and it's, it's a combination of two words, and it's where we get metamorphosis. What is the most common illustration of a metamorphosis that we have? Okay, a butterfly, a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, right? First, you have this one weird furry worm-looking thing. It goes into a chrysalis, and it has a transformation, and a beautiful butterfly comes out. It's something that we look at, and we go, how did this turn into that? Because it's not just that it lost all its gross hair and became like a slimier caterpillar. It became something completely other. It transformed. It changed and this is the same word we looked at the passage last week, 2 Corinthians 17 and 18, where Paul says, We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory were being transformed with ever-increasing glory into Christ. And this comes from the Spirit who is the Lord. We are being changed, transformed through discipleship, through the power of God in our lives as we learn to walk with Him deeper, not from good to better, but from death to life from ugly, weird-looking caterpillar into beautiful butterfly, from something completely other. This is what God is desiring to do in your life, and this only happens through discipleship. This is the way that God designed it, was that as we walk with each other in discipleship, we are transformed in ever-increasing glory to look more like Jesus Christ. The best biblical example that I can give you has nothing to do with a caterpillar and a butterfly. There, there's a story uh, in Matthew chapter 17 called the Transfiguration, where Jesus uh, takes three of his disciples and he says, hey, come up with me on the mountain. I got something special I want to show you. And Jesus is transfigured. He's changed where all of a sudden it says that he is, he is glowing like lightning, he is whiter than the whitest snow. And to the point where his disciples, these guys that walk with him every day, they just had lunch with him at the foot of the mountain, are terrified, like stuttering idiots. They fall down. They don't even know what to say or what to do. Jesus is completely transfigured into this insane, powerful being that they can't even look at. And here's the thing. Transfigured? I don't know why they did this. It's just a different English word, exact same Greek word, transformation. The same thing that Paul is telling us should be happening to us, that we are transformed with ever-increasing glory to look like Jesus. Metamorpho, it's the exact same word in that story, says Jesus was transformed. And what that word means is an outward change in keeping with an inner reality. Basically meaning this, the butterfly was inside the caterpillar the whole time, but during the metamorphosis, it came out. What Jesus was showing his disciples when he was up on the mountain of transfiguration, this, this lightning being, this powerful, unapproachable being, he went, this is me all the time. I'm just letting you see what's on the inside. And now Paul says the same thing, that as we walk in discipleship, 
that, that Christ life is coming out in us. And we are being truly transformed to look more like Jesus. And it should be such a stark contrast that like the disciples on the mount, people are going, what, whoa, who is this person? What is happening? It didn't just go from bad Bryce to better Bryce, but it went from Bryce to something completely other. And they should be taken aback by it. This is the goal of discipleship, not just that we can quote more Bible, that we look starkly different because of it. We haven't aimed for intentional discipleship, and so we've settled for less than transformation. We are called to intentionally walk arm in arm with other brothers and sisters toward transformation. We must shift the focus from church growth back to disciple making. And this is an individual mandate. I said this before. This is your responsibility and it's my responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility. You see, we've done that. We've kind of put it off on the organization because that allows me to decide how far in and how far out I am. How, how deep do I really want to get in this? Because that's the church's job. They should create some programs to disciple some people when that's not what Jesus said. He said, now you go and make disciples. Each of us need to make this shift. I'm not here to attend church. I'm not here to sing some good songs, to hear a message. I'm not here to have like a good Sunday. And man, this sets me up for a good week. I'm here because God has called me to make disciples and you have something I need and I have something you need. It is my responsibility, it is your responsibility to see the mission of the king accomplished. We have to shift our focus back to disciple making. Mike Breen, uh, in a book called Disciple Making, Creating a Disciple Making Culture, said this, if you make disciples, you will always get the church. But if you make a church, you rarely get disciples. Honestly, if you make a church, you tend to get consumers. Because that's how you grow an organization, is you do things that the consumers like. And they come back, and maybe they tell their friends, and they give more, and they, and oh look, we're building a church, and we haven't made disciples. If you make disciples, you will always get the church. But if you make a church, you rarely get disciples. And what we're shooting for here isn't even just that Natalie makes a disciple. And we go, oh, yay. Do you know what I'm going to applaud? When Natalie's disciple makes a disciple. What we're looking for is disciple-making disciples. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Because it's everyone's responsibility. I'm discipling someone not just so that they can be happy, but I'm discipling them toward making other disciples. Now go and do likewise. Paul tells Timothy like this in 2 Timothy 2.2. He says, And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who also will be qualified to teach others. You see, Paul didn't tell Timothy, Hey, the things you've heard me preach, just stand up in front of a crowd and preach them too. Paul said, Hey, Timothy, you know how I, like literally, if you read the story, I walked with you. I brought you along with me. You saw everything in my life. You partnered with me, literally apprenticed to me, and now, just like I taught you, go and teach some other men who are reliable and able to teach other men. And it's this generational thing. This is how the kingdom advances. 
by us having intentional relationships with, with people who are being transformed and then on mission themselves going and making other disciples. And with this passage, Matthew 21, 28, uh, Jesus was talking uh, to the Pharisees, guys who, who knew the scriptures, guys who knew everything about being a good God follower, but who completely missed the point, like some of us are in danger of. And here's what Jesus said. He said, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And, and he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. And Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Jesus was looking at these guys, and he's going, you could give me all the right answers. God has laid this out, and you guys stand in front of people and go, yes, amen. But then you turn around, and you don't do what God commands. You don't live the righteous lives that God is calling you to. You say the right things. But where's the power? Where's the proof? And then he goes, and then these other people, the tax collectors, the sinners, those that were seen as like, ugh, you couldn't even spend time with them. He goes, they get it. They are repenting and being transformed. Their lives are being changed and the kingdom is being advanced because of them. How many of us are like the second son that goes, yes, Lord, amen, and then goes about our own way? We have a job to be about and it is to make disciples, each and every one of us. It's not optional. So let's transition a little bit. Uh, we've started doing this for the last couple weeks. Um, just a time for, for you guys to share. A time for you guys to teach. Um, thoughts you have, or maybe even questions. Those are, those are all on board. I simply have this question to pose. Um, why have we been so hesitant to make disciples? Because it, it, like, it seems pretty clear in Scripture, right? Therefore, go and make disciples. Pretty clear. Most of us said we've even memorized that passage, but most of us would also say that we don't live that out. Why are we so hesitant to make disciples? This is your time to share.